you're tuned in to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, a podcast from Greenville, South Carolina, on all things food, beverage, locally roasted coffee, and craft beer. I'm John Malik, the lesser half of Greenville's best-loved chef couple, John and Amy Malik, and we're broadcasting from our Tin Roof Farm in Piedmont, South Carolina. Thank you for listening, and welcome to the show. a chef, especially one with kids, there's no better experience than an invitation to the Disney World Food and Wine Festival at Epcot. Every fall, Disney invites about 100 guest chefs, 12 at a time, to come and do their festival. And we were lucky enough to go six times, and the first time we went, our kids thought we were the greatest parents ever. (laughs) Disney really knows how to take care of their guests. Um, when we went down, the first time we went down, I was responsible for uh, one cooking demonstration for 100 folks, and both Amy and I were highlighted at the big weekend event at the festival, uh, which is called Party for the Senses. First time we went, uh, they told us to prepare for 750 guests, and I think the last time we went, they asked us to be ready for 1,000 guests, or a thousand, I should say 1,000 tasting portions. Disney offered to fly us down. They put us up at one of their high-end hotels for four nights. They provided a ton of skilled labor to help us with all of our prep, uh, gave us commemorative chef coats plus other swag. And on our last day there, we were treated to a day with one of their VIP tour guides. And the guide had a magic key basically to the entire park system, and she could take us anywhere Uh, using access roads, employee entrances, and then she brought us right up to the front of every line on any ride we wanted to see. Right to the front. So much fun. It was at their Food and Wine Festival that I met chefs such as Hiro Sone, Robert Del Grande, Mark Tarbell, Keegan Gerhard, Kat Cora, Tim Keating, and so on. And we always brought one of our cooks with us. And one year, maybe our best year there, My next guest traveled with us. Jeff Kelly and his fiancée, Monica, came along, and Monica gladly helped out Amy uh, with her booth of desserts at the Party for the Senses. And Jeff and I were joined by two Marine sergeants that evening, and these guys were total studs. Loved working with these two gentlemen. The Food and Wine Festival at Disney World is such a great event. If you're into your food and you can uh, visit Disney World in the fall, I would definitely recommend it. It all happens at Epcot. And if you're a chef that loves to get out in public and you aspire to a high level of cuisine and commitment, I would definitely recommend trying to get an invitation to this event. We loved every minute of every one of our appearances. And so here's my interview with Jeff Kelly, executive chef of Stella's Brasserie. Welcome to the Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, Jeff Stella's Southern Brasserie. Full disclosure, y'all, Jeff Kelly worked for my wife and I at 33 Liberty uh, from 2006 until we closed in late 2008. And of course, I'm about to take credit for everything good that's happened to him since. (laughs) I'm okay with that. (laughs) Jeff, welcome to the show. (laughs) It's good to be here, John. Definitely good to be here. You arrived a little bit early, and uh, we got to take a tour. Fortunately, the sun came out. It's been so wet. Fortunately, the sun came out, and so we got to hang out with a few animals, and I hope yeah. you enjoyed that. Absolutely. Definitely. It's good to see the sun. So Jeff and I met 
courtesy your wife Monica. Now at the time you were um, you were at the hotel downtown. I was. I was at the Weston. You were a sous chef there. Correct? Yeah, I was a sous chef at the Weston. I was. Yeah, and you'd been there several years, and um, I think I'd been there about a year and a half, almost two. Yeah. Yeah, and then Monica was working with you. Monica was working with us. Yeah. And we were shorthanded one night. It was a busy night. I think it was a Friday or Saturday. Somebody didn't show up or something. Right. Yeah. And Monica said, oh, my boyfriend is available. Yeah. And I, we'd never met. No. And, and you came in and worked that night. Actually, I kind of forgot about that. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you came in and worked that night. And one of the dishes we had was served with coleslaw. And I asked you to make. So that was part of your prep mm-hmm. of getting ready for that night. And I watched you make coleslaw by hand, and you're kind of a tall guy, so you had to so you had to spread your legs out a little bit so you could reach the (laughs) reach that countertop properly. Yeah, but you didn't realize the time. But I was watching you make this coleslaw, and you made this beautiful coleslaw by hand, everything cut by hand. And I taste that coleslaw. And I said to myself, you were going to work for me. <laughs> it, wasn't long, it wasn't much after that I was. Yeah. The, the point being is that something we take for granted, you know, you can buy it at any filling station in the South, probably, sure. any grocery store, and it's sure. typically gunked down with heavy amounts of mayonnaise and too much sugar and whatever. And you yeah. made this, this beautiful slaw by hand that was very well balanced. And I can't remember what we were serving it with, but I was like, wow, if... A guy like that can take, can show a lot of respect for something we take for granted on a daily basis. I'd like to know how you make something very complicated, you know? Well, I appreciate that. Yeah, you bet. So before we get going, remind us of where exactly Stella's Brasserie is. Uh, Stella's Brasserie is over in Hollingsworth Park off of uh, Verde. We're kind of in the middle of that whole housing development over there. Yep. Um, you know, we're right beside the Y. Uh, shoot, I guess we're going on. Almost two years now. Yeah. Yeah, March will be two years. Sister restaurant to Stella's... Uh, Bistro. Yeah. Stella's Bistro in Simpsonville. In Simpsonville, yeah. yeah. So now you're a native of Virginia, correct? Correct. Yeah, what part? Uh, kind of the middle of the state, kind of Roanoke. Um, right outside of Blacksburg, where Virginia Tech is. Um, you know, Blue Ridge runs right through Roanoke. Um, yep. So it's a... Grew up there. It's a beautiful, beautiful place to grow up. It is a beautiful part of the country. It sure is. sure is. Northern Virginia, that whole area. Yeah. Shando Valley is probably one of my favorite places. Years ago, I guess this is PK for Amy and I, pre-kids, uh, we we camped, uh, spent a long weekend in um, Shenandoah National Park. Wow. Oh, so spectacular oh, man, in the summertime. Beautiful. Unbelievable. It unbelievable. It really is. Yeah. If y'all get, ever get a chance, spend a night in Shenandoah National yeah. Park, it is something else. It is amazing. Now, as a chef, this is like one of my favorite questions, and it's something I can readily answer. But do you remember your, do you have your first cooking memory, your first real food memory? I, I've got a couple. Um, the one that really always stuck out with me is um, when I was a kid, every Christmas, my aunt and my grandmother, they both lived side by side. Um, okay. And my aunt, my uncle would always fry oysters um, for Christmas on Christmas Eve. And I always remembered that and always remember that smell. And she'd always make her own jam. She'd always make her own biscuits. And we'd have oyster and biscuits. So that really was a, one of my first, like, really kind of, like, memories. That was Christmas Eve supper? That was Christmas Eve supper. It was biscuits and bread and fried oysters. And homemade was, jam? And homemade jam. So that was kind of the dessert. That was what they always, always did. And I, awesome. I thought that was normal. Um, and, you know, to me it was. And to us it was, too. But that's, like, the first memory I really have. My aunt was a big cook. Uh, more so, my grandma was a cook, you know, but not, my aunt was more into the 
the pies and baking and cooking and you right. know the house always had that smell to it yeah um and that's like some of my first real like memories memories it really kind of stuck it's just smells you know, yeah and the taste and all that yeah yeah, and yeah. It was our christmas eve dinner do you remember the first thing you cooked <sighs> that's a tough one it might have been like a probably a sandwich in some little dive somewhere you know, like when it, like really actual memory of like not professional cooking, but being in a kitchen cooking. Right, you right. know, and I, I I can't put my finger on it, but yeah. I'm sure it wasn't anything spectacular. Yeah, okay. <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't. It never is. No, that's the whole point. Though. Yeah, right. Got to start somewhere. So. <laughs> so, what made you decide to get into this business? Well, when I left high school, I was in. I went to University of Tennessee for a couple of years or about. I a knew year. that. Yeah, yeah. And I was kind of spinning my wheels you, there. You constantly reminded me every fall, whatever. <laughs> <laughs> Uh, but I, I was, I, those were dark days for Tennessee football when were, you were working for me. <laughs> those were very dark days. Uh, but I was kind of spinning my wheels when I was there. I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do, and I took a part-time job in some little dive bar, um, just cooking. Uh, you know, it's burgers, sandwiches, jumping mm-hmm. fry, you know, frozen fries, and you know, I kind of realized I enjoyed it. Just that aspect of being in the kitchen, just to, you know, being there, and I decided to go to Johnson Wells in Charleston. Just kind of, hey, let's see if this works out. I enjoy it, and sure enough, here we are. You know? Yeah. Shoot, twenty years later, almost. So yeah, you remember the name of that bar in Knoxville? Oh, God, I don't. It, I can I can drive you to it forever. There, exactly <laughs> where it is. I no, don't, thanks. I can't. It's probably like Rocky Top or something like that. Right, I, yeah. But I can't put my finger up. What was? Yeah. It might come to me before we, before we're done, but I can't think of it. Oh, yeah. It might not even be there anymore. My um, father-in-law, you know, he was a professor at UT sure. for, for many years. Sure. Professor of um, of chemistry, uh, toxicology, right? I don't remember that. And he took us to a couple football games. Um, one of them, I think it was just two games, two of the big games. One of them was at Thanksgiving time. It was when sure. UT played Vanderbilt. Okay. And he was, he wasn't a happy guy, you know, because he because <laughs> right. he worked a lot and he sure. and, and he worked with numbers, and so happiness to him was making the numbers work. But I've never saw him happier than singing Rocky Top. <laughs> <laughs> in, oh yeah, in the, in the UT Stadium. That, man, that's that's it's <laughs> with, an experience. With eighty nine other, yeah. eighty nine thousand other people. It's an experience. It's it's a good time, but yeah, it's definitely not much like that. And yet, like you said, eighty thousand people singing Rocky Top. So, have you been to Knoxville lately? We went last time I was there. Let's see, Nora's six now, so we took her when she was like four to the Tennessee South Carolina game. Right. Um, that's that's been a couple years ago. I've been back in a while. You know, Joseph Lynn opened sure. up a restaurant uh, about a year and a half ago, maybe two years ago, sure. right downtown called J.C. Holdway. Yeah. Have you been yet or I read about it? No, I haven't. I know it's named after his uncle. I've worked with Joseph oh, at Peninsula Grill, but I've It's heard, brilliant. The food is so things. wonderful. I've heard good things. I've read good things, too. Yeah, he's yeah. a, Joseph's a very talented, very yeah. talented chef, for sure. Yeah. We're, we're definitely, we're definitely going back this year. That's on, uh, that's on our agenda this year. And I've read how, like, a lot of those guys coming from Blackberry Farms are kind of Oh, yeah, they that whole downtown. Yeah. I've seen there's several chefs now that have come out of there. That well, needed it. <laughs> yeah, I mean, there was, there was nothing. After Johnson & Wales, um, was that the first restaurant you worked at in Charleston? Was it Peninsula Grill? Well, it was P. Grill. I mean, it, well, when I was at Johnson & Wales, I was working at a little place. Um, I was out on James Island. It was a little small mom-pop place owned by husband and wife. Same thing, just while I was in school, you know, just kind of cooking and was working there. You know, just a little small place on burgers, stuff like that. Right. Um, and then... A guy, a buddy of mine, was working at Peninsula Grill and said you should go in and talk to Bob Carter and sit down and interview. And I went and interviewed, and you know, two weeks later I was there. And I spent, I was at P Grill for almost five years. Really? Yeah, I was there for a while. And that's the only, really, the only restaurant I worked in there mm-hmm. uh, the whole time we were there. And that's where I met Monica. 
um, a wife, and uh, yeah, yeah, P girl was there the whole time. I was yeah. still in school when I started P girl, but once I was done, I decided to stay in Charleston. I had a couple very memorable meals at Peninsula Grill uh, prior to that. Sure. Beautiful, beautiful food. I mean, yeah. just amazing food. Yeah, really good. I mean, it's, it's actually a pretty small restaurant, and it's pretty straightforward. You know, I say it's pretty straightforward, but we put a lot of love in that food. I mean, we were very proud of uh, working at P Grill when we were there. Yeah, it was an easy kitchen to work in. That's for sure. So, yeah. was it, would he be your first chef mentor? Then was I would your... say he taught me. And I also learned what to do and what not to do. Um, you know, as I got older and realized, you know, kind of my path. And um, but Bob definitely made me the cook I am. You know, yeah. doing high volume and doing you know um, fine dining for sure. Yeah, it kind of molded me. Well, not like I said, wasn't always easy. Either you got it, or you didn't. Do you remember um, at Thirty Three Liberty one year we went down to Disney World to the Food and Wine Festival. Sure. We did this kind of complicated dish. It was a zucchini sweet potato with fritter the yeah. with the duck with the duck breast, oh, and it had that. a what was it? An apple cider, it's au jus, yeah, it was. fresh thyme, and all this julienne. And vegetables. we had we had to push we had to push a darn was it one or two cases of sweet potatoes through a mandolin? Oh yeah, case of squash, a oh, zucchini. Yeah. Ten pounds of onions had to be. <laughs> we had those two. It was two military guys, right? Two military cooks. Yeah, they didn't help us doing that. They helped. No, us, no, they helped helps, us the, yeah. the night of the event. We got rushed. Yeah. And then so we're in there up to our eyeballs from eight a.m. until about five p.m. In that giant kitchen. And then darn Ken Vodrinsky. Ken Vodrinsky saunters in about eleven o'clock in the morning. Uh huh. And an hour later, <laughs> he was <laughs> done with his prep. Done. We're like, okay. <laughs> what was he making? He made nudie, right? It's something like that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. that's pretty straightforward. Yeah, and he, but, he walked out. It was, all right, boys, I'll see you all at the bar. <laughs> <laughs> all righty. And that was one of the best weekends, I think. Oh, it was uh, a blast. It yeah. was a blast. It was it, a lot of fun. I can I definitely remember that. Remember, yeah. we were front and center when they opened those doors. Yeah. I do remember that. We just got rushed. Yeah, yeah, we did. It was a good time, we, though. Yeah, we did. And we had the, the two sergeants. Mm-hmm. Were they both Marines? I believe they were both. I think. So we, they were professional cooks. For the Marines, they both ran big kitchens at big bases. Yeah, and they were young. Yeah, yeah, and the reason we, they were there was the Marines had had reached out to Disney World and mm-hmm. and um, but these guys I think had actually cooked in the White House prior. I think you're right. Yeah, yeah. God, at least such, one of them. Had. Oh man, they were such studs too. They're great too. Yeah. They're, they're super yeah. nice. They're really they were actually a huge help. Yeah, yep. I, I do remember yep. that. So now, where you are with your career, and you've reached a certain level. <laughs> that young cooks, I would think, dream about, you know, being able to put their own stamp on sure. on the town, so to speak, because Stella's has reached a point now where it's where you have other chefs looking at what you're doing. If you could give somebody a young cook advice or a young restaurateur, somebody that was considering going into the business, what would that be? Work ethic. I mean, to me, it's always work ethic and integrity. Um, you really have to treat... I guess the way I look at things, you really have to treat people the way you want to be treated. Um, if these days, I feel like if you want to keep cooks, you want to keep staff, you really have to treat them with some respect and some you know authenticity. And because um, the the guys that work for me specifically, I spend more time with them than I do my own family. And not not I don't mean that in a bad way or a good way. I just mean you really have it's to. It's the reality. It's the reality. It is, and now it's so hard to find cooks. You know, you just really have to take care of the guys you have, treat them well. You know, and you want to you want to. Like I said, teach them integrity. You know, I always say, you know, if you're walking through the kitchen, you see something on the floor, like a piece of paper, just that's, to me, that's integrity. Just pick it up and throw it away. Right. You know, you, that's just, you're thinking kind of beyond just, 
um, just cooking. You know, there's you know there's a lot to it. And I always tell my guys too, cooking's many chefs I work for always say cooking's the easy part. Um, I wish I could go in there and just cook every day, and that's the only thing I had to worry about. But there's such a broader picture to what we do, and you know whether it's meetings, it's interviews, it's you know putting out fires um, in the sense of the word. Um, you know, whether it be cooks arguing or whatever it may be, um, you know, you just, try, you just try to look at it that way. But I think it just basically it boils down to just make sure you take care of your staff. Yep. You really have to take care of your staff. You got to treat them with respect. You got to pay them um, for one. You know, you gotta, people need a, a living wage. Right. You know? And so if you really want to keep them, and if they're worth it. And I think if you put that into your staff and put that love in your staff and put that respect and treatment, that I think it comes back. Mm-hmm. It comes back. And that, that, that leads to loyalty, which is not always easy to find and when yep. you do find those guys if you stay loyal to them they'll stay loyal to you yep well the first real kitchen job i had was in new orleans at christian's restaurant sure and boy they had a huge reputation uh, not just inside new orleans but nationally the chef was this um uh, older parisian gentleman i think he turned 60 the year that that i was there and he was six nights a week boy he was he was in there on the line and his standards were meticulous cleanliness and, and the presentation of the food and your every everything, the the quality of the ingredients. He had the very, very high standards. Boy, and one if you looked at him funny, he would point that knife at you and say, Hey, what are you looking at? Right. You know? Right. Don't look at me like that. Old school Parisian. Yeah. Yeah. And and it was it was tough working for him. He had very high standards across the board and he was not cuddly in the least bit. And uh, I mean there was his favorite thing to say to me was, do you know what your problem is? You are totally stupid. You know nothing about cooking. <laughs> yes, I mean, not a yes, day, not yeah. a day wouldn't go by that he wouldn't tell me that. And I would say, yes, chef, I'm, I'm totally stupid. I'm right. <laughs> what else are you going to say? Yeah. And uh, if that hurt my feelings and I said, well, the heck with it. I'm, I'm leaving. There was 15 people standing at the back door waiting to work sure. at Christian's. A dime you know? a dozen. Yep. Exactly. Yep. Fortunately, those days are gone now. You can't. Yeah, you can't. yeah, that, those are those are definitely gone by the wayside. You know, screaming and yelling and calling your staff stupid definitely doesn't work. Definitely doesn't work. I'm sure there's still some people out there that do that. But. Well, yeah, I'm sure. I'm sure. Toughest lesson you've learned over the years. Hmm. Toughest lesson I've learned. I've probably it's probably been a few. Kind of going back to what we're talking about. Um, it can be high stress and high emotions in kitchens, and I guess like losing it online from time to time. And yeah. you know, I haven't, I've tried to. The older I've gotten, the better I've gotten losing my temper. But you know, kind of going after talking to the screaming, the yelling, the belittling. Um, that, that's probably been the biggest lessons I've learned um, through the years. It's just it doesn't get you anywhere. It doesn't do anything but bring you down, put you in a bad mood. And when you're in a leadership role and you're screaming and yelling, that kind of just snowball effect, and everybody right. gets in that bad mood and. You know, people just really don't deserve that, I guess, you know, because you're angry about a piece of, I mean, no, that's what I always say, say nobody's dying. You know, you overcooked a piece of meat. We'll, right. we'll cook another one. It's not the end of the world. Yeah. There was a time where I might have grabbed that steak and thrown it at somebody. Um, Ouch. <laughs> um, I never did. But, you know, I sure that yeah. is that idea of things. And right. That's been the biggest lesson I've learned is just, you know, you, you just, nobody's dying. You know, it's not the end of the world. Calm down. You know, it just it doesn't do anybody any good that's in within a, you know, a stone's throw from you. Screaming and yelling just doesn't do any good. Um, yeah, that's definitely been my biggest lesson. Yeah. I think. And, and one of the biggest things that I've had to grow into and understand and just, you know, you got to lead by example, you know, and you don't want to lead by that example. 
even though Roland Huey is turning in, turning over in his grave right, right now. All right, all right. Like I said, there is a time and a place, but um, yep. you know, and like I said, I just realized it's just it wasn't beneficial to anybody, especially me. Yeah. Um, you know, it takes a couple of years off your life every yeah. time you do that. I think. I agree. All right, so somebody walks into Stella's Brasserie. Mm-hmm. Never been in there before. Never heard of the place before. Don't know a thing about you or your ethos. What would you suggest that they get on the menu? And let's let's say it's dinner time. Okay. Well, I would suggest a couple things. You know, what we do with the brasserie, we mix it up a little bit. You know, it's French inspired, and when we first started, it was very French inspired. And it's not that we've gone away from that. You know, but with, there's a lot of Asian flavors on there too. And you know, obviously, Asian lends itself to French, um, and vice versa. Right. Um, so I'd say you know anything. I would, I would suggest that somebody have. Multiple, you know, multiple things because we do have enough stuff where you could share stuff. Um, you know, we have the classic steak frites. Um, I feel like we do a pretty good steak frites. Yes, sir. You know, yeah. um, we like to use local. Um, we use a lot of local stuff. So anything like that. I mean, the pork chop is always great. Um, we have a pot of foo on there, which I'm proud of, which is almost like a you know our play on. Um, um, That's a classic French dish. Tell yeah. us about pot of foo. I mean, pot of foo just means pot on fire, basically. Right. And it's our play on almost like a hot pot, like a Korean hot pot. You know, we have kimchi in there, soba noodles. We make uh, dashi. Um, you know, we poached egg in there, poached local eggs. So it's kind of our play on a pot of foo. Yeah. So uh, what would a French version of pot of foo be? That would be. I know the answer, but. <laughs> God, you stumped me. I don't know, John. You tell me. I'll be on the spot. You know, it, it's it's like chuck roast. It's, it's like a, yeah, yeah, yeah. It's a tough cut of meat. You know, it's tough cut, yeah, it's a tough cut of meat. It's like in South Louisiana, it'd be red beans and rice. Yeah, and you know, well, oh, yeah. yeah. And the French sure, countryside, it'd be pot of few. You know, it'd be it'd be something you put on in the carrots, morning. And, yeah, right. Exactly. Yeah, sure. It's like a roast. Yeah, and a stew yeah. almost. And like I said, that's just our play on it. Sometimes we we like to use it for as our vegetarian option. Um, or you know, we put shrimp in it, some uh, rural red shrimps in there to add a little protein to it. Um, so we just, it's our play. I like to kind of people to try things that maybe they haven't ever tried before. Because we always come back to that too. So when people ask me that, I'm like, well, what have you not had on this menu? Or, what is something you haven't had? Or maybe you've had it somewhere else and had a bad experience. Like, okay, well, you had somebody prepare it poorly. So why don't we, right. you know, why don't you let me cook this for you to show you how it's properly done? You know, and I'm not taking blowing smoke up my own. You know, or do anything like that, but you know, just, I like I like that when people have had a bad experience somewhere else, eating something similar to what we have, just because of how it's prepared, or it wasn't proper ingredients, or I love that compliment. It's one of my favorite compliments. Gotcha. All right, a question from Instagram: Tana Marino wants to know, what is the secret to you looking so young? <laughs> I, I don't know, kids maybe. I don't, I don't, I'm not sure. Luck. All right, you got twenty bucks in your pocket. Twenty-five, maybe I'll give you twenty-five dollars. Okay. You run into me and you say, "Come on, I'm taking you to lunch, somewhere here in town. Where are we going?" Anywhere, authentic Mexican. You're the one that first took me to Las Maritas. Um, oh yeah, Las Maris. Oh yeah, Las Maris. Oh yeah, And there's a there's an even better one, not even better, but it's called Uncle Berto's on Five Forks. Of course, it's always closed on Mondays because um, we're closed on Mondays, but um, it's great. It's Uncle a, Berto's. Uncle Berto's kind of stuck back there on the corner of um, right there on the co- corner of Woodruff and. Uh, Shoot, wherever that bilo is, right? You're 14, but it's back in there. It's it's great. I love it. We go there all the time. Yeah. Um, yeah. Anything authentic like that, you know. We basically you walk in, you're the only white guy. Yeah. You, you know you're in the right place. Um, I so. love going in. I love going to uh, Las Maris. Yeah. Yeah. You, you know? You're first person that took me there. The one, the I guess they have two locations now, but the one right. out on uh, is that White Horse. Yeah, White Horse Road. Yeah. yeah. The place is awesome. Anything anywhere like that is gonna be my favorite place to go. You yeah. know, shoot me Kong. Yeah. Any kind of authentic. Um, yeah, love Mekong, too. Mekong, oh my gosh. Great. 
Yeah. Um, so anywhere like that, that's where I'm going. You can you can get a lot for 25 bucks in this place. A whole lot. All right. On the other flip of the coin, you got $500 in your pocket. You and Monica, me and Mrs. Malik, you want to take us out to dinner somewhere within a 150-mile radius of downtown. <sighs> so that includes Atlanta, Charlotte, Columbia. I don't know. Well, I could Google it. Uh, we, could tell, <laughs> we never go out to eat. Uh, yeah. We were in uh, we were in uh, Atlanta not too long ago. We went to Empire State um, South. Which one's in Atlanta? Empire South. Empire South. Yeah, and that um, ate there. That was the last good meal I had. Uh, that's where Josh Hopkins is. You know, we work with Jason. Um, but it's great. It's amazing. Uh, we had a really really good meal there. But I sh- there's so many now. I'd probably yeah. go to Asheville somewhere. Yeah, you know, there's yeah. so many great places up there. Yeah. You know that I haven't even eaten yet. I'm sure you probably. Eating a lot more, you know, Curate's up there, and I'm sure, yep. and uh, John Buxton Flair, Bucks and Hall, John yep. Flair's place, and there's that place right outside of Asheville, it's like Butcher and, oh, what's it called? Yeah. I can't remember, but I know Jason speaks highly of it, um, it's supposed to be really good too. Yeah, the four of us could eat at John Fleer's restaurant for half of that, you know, yeah, right. <laughs> we wouldn't need $500. Right, so I mean, I guess yeah. that, I'd let you make yeah. that choice probably. All right, let's, all right, one more. Now let's say unlimited, right? Mm-hmm. You and Monica, anywhere in the world, where are you going to go? I'm probably going to go to Paris, you know, or Paris or London or, you know. Anywhere specific in Paris? Uh, honestly, I'm not sure. I mean, I know where I'd go in London. I'd go to... Um, St. Ferg- John's? Yeah, yeah. It's the first place I'd go. Fergus Henderson's. Any, I, he's just, since I first read that book, um, it just kind of changed how my perspective on how food can be prepared and what you're eating. You know, and his whole story is pretty, you know, and his, his kind of whimsical... You know, which reminds me of you a little bit. Um, whimsical look on food and, um, you know, just the head to tail, nose to tail, using everything. And I just, that just kind of, I was enthralled by that. And, uh, you know, I would love it. He's got, I think, several restaurants now, but I'd definitely go to St. John's. That'd be yeah. the first place I'd go. Um, I just got the utmost respect for him. And I think he's got cerebral palsy or something. Right. And he can't even hold a knife anymore. Right. Um, but that, didn't, that never affected his attitude or his mentality. And, you know, his, his, his seems like he has so much fun with his food. And, um, you know, the stuff I see him post on Instagram, and it's, it's always some kind of story behind it of some one of his cooks creating this, or you know, right? I, I love that idea of looking at food. Um, I'm sure I could find, you know, you know, or San Francisco would be a great place to go too. I mean, there's so many phenomenal restaurants out there too. I mean, everybody wants to go to laundry. I've never eaten laundry. I'd love to experience that. Mm-hmm. Um, that you know, that'd be probably one of them too. Obviously, yeah. a lot, a lot of cooks or chefs. Look to Thomas Keller, you know, for American, just refining American cuisine the way he did. I agree. And I know that's kind of a go-to answer for a lot of people, but it's true. You know, it's, it's the you know, I'll, I'll tell you a story about Tom Keller. So we, we've never eaten at one of his places. However, when it, whenever Amy and I would travel and go somewhere wonderful or, or somewhere that had a reputation, I always, um, when we got home, I always made a handwritten letter to the chef, thanking them, telling them how much we enjoyed it, so sure. on and so forth. Right, and we ate in a lot of you know wonderful, uh, expensive restaurants, and never heard back from anybody. Mm-hmm. Right, Tom Keller's book comes out, his first one, his uh, cookbook. As soon as I got it, I stayed up all night just reading it, reading the recipes, sure. the techniques, and just sure. you know it was mind-boggling the amount of preparation he put into some of his stuff, and and I loved it, but I loved his approach, mm-hmm. the no-holds-barred approach to luxurious textures and flavors. Sure. And so about a month after I had the book, I wrote him a, a little note telling him how much I was enjoying the book. Don't you know, a week later, I got a, 
letter back from him. That's awesome. Handwritten letter. Thank you so much, John. Really appreciate that. Glad you're enjoying the book, so on and so forth. That's amazing. And I, and I mean, you, you'd hope that's how it would be. Right. You know, and yeah. it's not always that way. But for probably the biggest celebrity, I mean, I, wouldn't, I hate to call him a celebrity chef. Right. You know, but, um, yeah, that's amazing. That's very cool. All right, so what do you have planned for the coming year, for 2019? Is there anything new you, you can, you can uh, share with us? I mean, we're just going to keep pushing forward, you know, especially with the restaurant. You know, we're constantly, we're coming up on two years um, mm-hmm. in March. You know, we're always just kind of constantly rethinking, revamping, and just, you know, what can we do? And, you know, obviously we're getting we're getting busier. We hope it stays that way. Um, we got a lot going on, you know, with the restaurant. We just added on, especially added on the covered patio um, so that, that will allow us to have a lot more, mm-hmm. you know, basically an extra dining room now right. outside. Um, there's a lot going on in that whole area. Yeah, that neighborhood's uh, there, growing. Yeah, and that Lawrence Road area is growing. Um, they're they're already working on one of those green areas over there. They're going to put up, a, I think it's a law firm. Um, they're going to have some retail places over there. So it's just that whole area is growing. I mean, as for us, you know, I'm sure Jason Schultz has, he always has something on the horizon, you know. Mm-hmm. Um, so um, I'm sure we'll, you know, we'll be, I know he wants to expand and keep growing. You know, and I yeah. definitely want to be part of that. As for me personally, I'm not, I'm not sure. You know, we'll hopefully take a vacation <laughs> <laughs> at some point, maybe. <laughs> the creek don't rise and the good Lord will. Yeah, right? Seriously. <laughs> Seriously. But yeah, nothing, nothing like real exciting, I guess. Now that I've been, I've been consulting now for six years, mm. right, doing restaurant consulting, restaurants fail for typically two reasons, right? And there's nuance underneath underneath mm-hmm. each reason but mm-hmm. one being is that they they fail to evolve they get addicted to their own mediocrity yep and they fail to evolve and change with either the neighborhood or or sure. standards or whatever and so that's good of you that's great to hear you say that we're constantly evolving we're constantly learning Sure. You know, you've got, number one, you got to respond to your customers. Exactly. Exactly. I was about, you just took the words right out of my mouth. Yeah. And then, and then number two, you've got to keep pushing your standards and say, what can we do tonight? You know, sure. this is in season. What can we do with sure. it? Sure. And that's, yeah, I like to let my guys do that. You know, I like to let them think, you know, I'm not always going to like, yeah, we're going to put this dish or run this dish tonight, but you know, between five or six of us, if, if everybody's got an idea and then we can revamp, form something. But, um, you know, so it's always kind of keeping it fresh and you want to keep it a change, you know, we want to change seasonally. Um, but like John said, you know, we, you have to, you have to cater to your guests, you know, as much as, as hard as that is sometimes for chefs. Cause like, no, I want to do this. Can we do right. <laughs> you know, that's kind of how we started out. I mean, Jason, right. Ooh, we got to pump brakes a little bit. Yeah. Um, you know, so we just kind of constantly had to keep evolving, you know, like in, to the neighborhood, you know, and stuff like that and to Greenville, you know, cause, um, you know, Greenville is, is becoming more, I think, accepting of, you know, Newer stuff, you know, not just the meat and potatoes anymore. The Greenville was for such a long sure. time, yeah. you know. And yeah. I think John was part of that. John and him were definitely part of that with the uh, Thirty Three Liberty, and you know, Greenville's just expanding and growing so fast. Yeah. Um, so, like I said, you just got to keep up the times. Yep, I you agree. Can't get stagnant. You know? I agree. Looking for cooks right now. We, I mean, we're always, <laughs> we're always looking for cooks. I mean, we'll uh, actually. I'm lucky right now that I'm not. Um, but that's that's what I always say is like the most consistent thing in our business is turnover. Yeah. It is the most consistent thing, um, you know. And finding cooks is hard, no matter what city you're in. Um, Greenville's become very much harder than it was, I think, several years ago. Um, but that's just because the amount of restaurants opening. You know? yeah. But then half of those restaurants close. Yep. Um, which is unfortunate. But um, yeah, we're always I always like to sit down and have conversations with people, whether or not I hire them or not. You know, somebody might blow me away in a conversation. I'm like, whoa. Okay, I'll yeah. find a spot for you. You know, um, right. so right. 
Um, and I just like kind of sitting down talking to people anyway. You know, I, always, I don't like to call them interviews, just call them conversations. You know, when somebody calls me, I say, I want to sit down and have a conversation. Maybe you were working with me at the time, but we had a we were interviewing a cook, and so I invited him to dinner mm-hmm. at the at the chef's counter. Mm-hmm. And um, you always did that, though, didn't you? Didn't you always say if somebody thought somebody was worth it, didn't you feed them? Correct. Yeah, correct. Okay, that's what I thought. So that was the initial part of the interview: was come in and 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 have four or five courses and sure. sit down at the at the at the chef's counter. <laughs> and after the second course, this kid said, "I can't eat anymore." And I said, excuse me? I mean, it was like dinner time. It's like yeah. 7 o'clock. And he goes, well, I, I stopped and had a subway on the way over here. I didn't think I was going to like anything. <laughs> okay, interview over. <laughs> oh, at least he's honest. <laughs> right, exactly. <laughs> wow. Exactly. I was like, oh, how about that? <laughs> gotcha. That makes sense. All right. Oh, man. All right, so before we go, remind us of your hours over there at the at the brasserie. Sure, we're close. So we're closed on Mondays. Um, so Tuesday through Friday, we open the doors at eight o'clock. Um, basically, the doors are open all night long till we close at nine o'clock. What you said, eight a.m. Eight a.m. Yeah. Uh, we have pastries. We have coffee. Um, we get a lot of folks coming in from upstairs, businesses around, neighborhood people. Um, you know, we're open. We close in between lunch and dinner, but we're still people still come in. You know, we have happy hour starts at four. See, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, we close at 9. Uh, Friday, Saturday, we close at 10. And then Saturday and Sunday, we're up for brunch. And Sunday, we close for brunch at 2. Um, so really, the only day we're closed is Monday. So basically, doors open at 8 in the yeah. morning and are closed to work closed. So Sunday, you don't serve dinner, but you we, do serve Sunday brunch. Correct. And we start, we open at 10.30, and like I said, we close at 2. Yeah. That's typically, our that is our busiest shift. Yeah. Shift? Busiest shift. shift of the year is Sunday brunch. Yep, it is. You know, and then Mother's Day is always a nightmare. Father's Day and Easter, <laughs> just, but it is what it is. You know, and uh, we've we've actually got pretty good. Oh, when we first opened brunch was just so hard. We we've got now we got it a little more fine tuned now. Right. Um. So you know, doing two hundred plus isn't as hard as it used to be. Yeah. Um, yeah. Good for you. But yeah, that first Mother's Day was. Whew, yeah. That was a tough one. <laughs> Uh, but like that goes back to saying evolving and figuring stuff out, right? And, you know, fine tuning. That's what you got to do, right? So. Exactly. Jeff Kelly, executive chef of Stella's Brasserie. Thank you so much for coming out today. Thank you for having me, John. It was, it was a lot of fun. Stella's Brasserie is on Instagram. Correct? Yeah, Stella's Brasserie is on Instagram, and then we can see your specials on there. Yep, everything on there. Okay. We usually put up our express lunches, um, any of our lots of our features we run at night, um, drink specials as well, yeah. and it's at Stella's Brasserie. Correct. I'm John Malik, restaurant coach, and I help make restaurants successful. You can follow me on Instagram at Chef John Malik, and my wife Amy is on Instagram at Tin Roof Farm. You can find the show on Facebook, Tin Roof Farm Radio Show, and our website is tinrooffarmradioshow.com. The Tin Roof Farm Radio Show is a production of Jack Russell Social Media. And our music is all gussied up by John Starcluster. Thank you for listening. <laughs>